the Pro Wrestling Bowl. 35 short stories, including Harley Race, Ricky Morton, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 300 photos from the independent scene. Taken from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Get your book today by going to WrestleVille.com or LanceByChance.com. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. Welcome back to episode 156 of the Working Fans Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume 1 and Lance by Chance, available at WrestleVille.com. Super Vows, Pade De, both written by Kevin Kelton, and I'll Be Here All Week, written by Ward Anderson, all available on Amazon.com. We are brought to you by our pro wrestling commentary home of New Heights Wrestling. And this week, we have a big guest for you. He is the host of Shut Up and Wrestle on the Arcadian Vanguard Network. He is a contributor to Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside the Ropes magazines. He has written the books WWE Legends, Pro Wrestling FAQ, and his newest book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. He is an author, pop culture critic, wrestling historian, the great Brian R. Solomon. Brian, how are you doing today? Wow, thanks, Joe. I'm doing I'm doing really well. I'm the great Brian R. Solomon. I, uh, the great Brian Last might have something to say about that, but I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be considered great. So thank you. Hey, we are happy to have you here because you just wrote the book about the original Sheik and that led us to wondering, when did your pro wrestling fandom start and who were some of your early favorites? Well, I, you know, my answer to that is always kind of, it's kind of dull because I wish I had a more a different kind of response, but I came in when so many people my age came in. I, I'm 47 years old. I started really getting into wrestling in 1987 in the build up to WrestleMania three. So I'd known about it and I knew kids that liked it before that. You know, you'd hear people talking about it at school, Hulk Hogan, WrestleMania and all that stuff, the first WrestleMania. But I got into it myself in that whole Andre the Giant turning on Hulk Hogan, watching Piper's Pit. In fact, one of my earliest memories of just turning it on, you want to talk about conversion moment, you know, watching the Piper's Pit when Andre the Giant turned on Hulk Hogan and ripped the crucifix off his chest with Bobby the Brain Heen in there and it gloating and everything. That was just like, okay, I'm in. I don't know what this is, but I'm in. And I'm going to watch it again next week and the week after that. So that was it. My early favorites, I mean, I know this sounds weird, but probably my first favorite wrestler was Ken Patera. Mm. And it wasn't even the great heel Ken Patera when he was actually really good. It was when they brought him back when he got out of jail. Because again, I'm 12. I'm just starting to watch this. I don't even know who he is or what he did to go to jail. I just thought it was fascinating. This guy who came out of jail, he wasn't a good guy. You know, he had been a, he'd done some bad things. And now, as Vince McMahon would say every five seconds, he has paid his debt to society. 
<laughs> that that got me. Like I know that that's considered it's not really one of the great characters in wrestling, but I liked him. Also, when Bam Bam Bigelow came in as a baby face with Oliver Humperdinck as his manager, and he's doing cartwheels in the ring. The guy's like 350 pounds. He was a favorite. Very quickly later in that year, when they turned Randy Savage face, he became a favorite. I hate to say it now, but Ultimate Warrior at the time, because again, I was a child. That would be the in my in my own opinion the only excuse for being a fan of the Ultimate Warrior. I never was a huge Hulk Hogan fan. I I, I always wanted him to lose in those days. I couldn't wait to see who the next champion was going to be. You know, but but those were my early favorites. I just real quick, Brian's got to say I love everything you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. I identify with their fandom so much. I don't usually, do, but just to you all know what I'm talking about. Anyone wants to look it up? The Bobby Heenan Ken Patera debate where. <laughs> Tara whips him with the bell, and it's unbelievable the bump Bobby takes in that. It's amazing. But that's another thing that, from the point of view of a child, right, I know exactly what you're talking about. The Bobby Heenan-Ken Patera debate in the ring with the podiums and everything where they were – the things that Bobby Heenan was saying – they were bleeping out. Yes. And I and on the bottom of the screen, it said something like, due to the heinous nature, I remember the word heinous, due to the heinous nature of Bobby Heenan's comments, you know, they're not fit for television or something like that. Now, I'm sure that wasn't actually the case. However, as a kid, again, I'm just like, what is he saying? Oh, my God. What could be that bad that they won't allow it on television? Oh, my God. God, what can he be saying? This is how you make a lifelong fan with things like that. It's so simple. And it's funny. It sounds like we all got hooked around that same time because my earliest memories of wrestling are Hulk Hogan. And now that I've gone back and watched old superstars of wrestling, I remember the intro with Hogan in the tunnel at MSG waiting to come out. And just that early, you know, you got the rock and wrestling cartoons that all just brought me in. And Hogan was an early favorite. And I talked with somebody last night at work how, you know, Hogan and Warrior were early favorites of a lot of people. And as you get older, you almost don't want to say it because if you're a fan of wrestling, their styles were very limited. They could do what they could do but you wouldn't necessarily call them an in-ring great. Well, here's the thing with those two guys. And over the years, it's weird what's happened with my opinions of things. So as I became an adult and learned more about wrestling, I actually grew to like and respect the Ultimate Warrior as a worker less. However, I grew to like and respect Hulk Hogan as a worker, maybe not as a person always, but I want to point that out, but as a worker more than I did back then. Mm-hmm. And and I really feel like those two guys are very different, very different in the sense. I mean, I mean, neither one of them is going to do any kind of chain wrestling or put on some kind of like mat wrestling clinic. They don't need to. The difference is Hogan had a power over fans that stood the test of time and it lasted years and years where he could hold them in the palm of his hand. And there is something to be said for that. Whatever he was doing, it was working and he knew, excuse me, he knew how to do it. He was also very underrated as a promo, Mm -hmm. a great, great promo, Ultimate Warrior, not. And I know there's people who love Warrior promos. And I guess maybe if you first saw something when you were seven, you're never going to let go of how great it was. But like, 
Hogan told me once himself when I was interviewing him. He goes to me, and I've told this story before, but he's like, you know, I always get criticized for the my working style and it's limited and I don't do a lot of technical stuff. And he goes, guys like Guerrero, Benoit, you know, this was 20 years ago, Malenko and Mysterio, those guys, they move around the ring like lightning. They're flying everywhere. They're doing a million moves a second. The audience goes insane, loses their mind. And then he goes, you know what? I do this. And the response is identical, if not more, from the audience. So he goes, why should I do what they do? They do what they do. I do what I do. They couldn't do what I do. And I could not argue with that. He had a point. He knew what he was doing. The warrior was much more limited where that act grew stale very quickly. I mean, he came on the scene at the end of 87. He got super hot, 88, 89. He beats Hogan. And then it kind of just starts to fizzle away, like as soon as he wins the belt. So he really was not the second coming of Hulk Hogan, like a lot of people thought he would be. I mean, they used to joke about how he was already blown up by the time the bell rang, which is very true because of his whole ring entrance he just was not trained the same way i mean hogan was trained by some really legit people he just knew what he had to do and what he didn't have to do he's a lot like the sheik the guy i wrote the book about the sheik could do it all he could tie you in knots he was an amateur wrestling champion in the army as a young man he just knew he didn't have to do that he all you know he he worked a limited style it worked he drew more money than anybody else that's smart in my estimation very it's a long answer i'm sorry that's a very long right now that was great yeah i mean (laughs) You do hear about like guys like I, I think another one like as a kid I probably didn't like him because I was a kid but like Jerry Lawler but then you see how much Jerry Lawler got out of a crowd with mm-hmm. you know, a little and as an adult if you really separate from even pro wrestling man like the idea of getting the most out of anything you do for a little it's like that's you know that's a great life thing right there. Jerry Lawler was very believable. He threw probably some of the best punches that there ever were. He was a fantastic brawler. You know, he didn't look like you would look at him and go, well, he just, uh, you know, he's from that era. But but I think he also benefited from being where he was. The skinny on Lawler even back then was he's happy to be a big fish in a small pond. And I sometimes wonder what would have happened if he did more touring, if he went to more territories and things. He might have got lost in the shuffle because whenever he goes somewhere else, he's kind of a few notches down. He's not like somebody like a Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair or Andre the Giant or, you know, when they go places, they're still massive wherever they go. Not really the case with Jerry Lawler. I mean, there was the AWA because they had the working arrangement with Memphis. But for the most part, like he stayed in his area. He was a huge deal there, a legend to this day. And that was smart in and of itself. And that helped to get himself over. Yeah. Now, how do you go from being such a big fan of wrestling to working for the WWE? Because that has got to be almost like a mind blowing experience in itself. Yeah, it was mind-blowing because it was almost like you couldn't have scripted it more. It was almost like a a screenplay of a movie or something because of all the people, like I was that one person that everybody knows that's like, oh my God, that guy is just nuts about pro wrestling. He never shuts up about it. He just thinks about it constantly. You know, I'm writing about it in college and things. So I was like the ideal person that that could ever happen to. Like I said, it was almost like a movie, but it was a very mundane way that it happened. I was just, I, I took a job out of college. I got... I got, you know, I I wanted to be a writer and editor when there was much more of a future in magazines and book publishing at that. And this is the late 90s. And I was doing, you know, just non-wrestling stuff. It was reference books and very like nonfiction kind of academic almost stuff. And my my heart was in wrestling. I had 
done some of that as a kid, like on neighborhood papers and college newspaper and things like that. And I was looking for a better job. I had just gotten married and I found it in the classified section of the New York Times. Just the most simple thing. There was a WWF scratch logo in the classified section of the New York (laughs) Times drew my attention. You do not see that in the New York Times classified section all the time. You don't see the New York Times classified section anymore. But I, I applied to it. They made me jump through a million hoops. I, I, my first interview was October 1999, and I didn't start until Valentine's Day 2000. So it was this whole multiple interviews, multiple trips from Brooklyn to Stamford, Connecticut. At first, I didn't get it. They gave it to somebody else. Then they called me back. They needed another person. It was this whole convoluted thing. But again, it's like I'm, I'm going into Titan Tower. I'm being interviewed, and I'm just going like, I can't believe this is happening. This doesn't feel real. And I'm almost, I'm like praying. I'm like, I don't know if anyone's listening to this. I don't know if this works or not. I'm going to try it. Just if there is some karma in the universe, maybe could I get this job? Because even while I'm going through it all, I'm thinking like, I'm not getting this. This is not going to happen. But at least I could say I went there, you know, whatever. But it actually happened. It was like, so surreal so surreal what was the experience working there because i mean we hear a lot that tv is chaotic does the magazine operate in the same way or what can you say about your time overall so i always have to clarify that because it is two worlds there's tv and there's corp and they didn't they we weren't even in the same building just to be clear so there's a tv the titan tower that everybody knows that big building on i-95 in, in connecticut with the big flag and everything the giant glass box you know yeah. that's those are the corporate offices that is not where tv is produced that's where all the suits are you know so like tv production is down the road. It's about a 10-minute drive into downtown Stamford. Titan Tower is not in downtown. It's kind of outside in a residential area, which is very weird. <laughs> but it's this little studio, nondescript. You would miss it if you were driving by. And it's just, it's a little, like, it looks like just, um, I don't Almost know. Almost like, like a warehouse of sorts. It does look a little like a warehouse, yeah. And that's where the TV was produced. I would go there occasionally for things that had I had to do, but that's not where I work. And, you know, it was a different environment. It was working in Titan Tower. It was weird because there were two sides of it. So it was very corporate. You did feel like you were working for a media corporation. It didn't necessarily have that hectic feel of TV production, but it's also the world of wrestling. So underneath the surface of that corporate, very like kind of, you know, button down thing, there is the the kind of, how do I put this? <laughs> the underbelly of the wrestling business, the stuff that makes it into dark side of the ring. You know, that mentality, it crosses over from the road, it crosses over from TV, and it kind of permeates everything. So it, I don't want to characterize it as being like any other corporate environment. It was not. So it was like a weird blending of those two worlds, if that makes sense. Yeah, wrestling's always seemed weird. It's almost like the carnival going legit so it's like you're always going to want to have those people that want to run it like a business but in the end it's always the carnival so you can't get out of that kind of mind state at times now have you always been a writer because you said you wrote articles even for like your childhood neighborhood papers what was the first article you wrote and what was it about do you remember well i mean 
even in my high school paper, I was already writing because I knew I wanted to be a writer. I didn't necessarily know I wanted to do like hard journalism. I was always on the fence about that, but because I don't know if I could be that much of a jerk, like you kind of have to be a jerk and really like be aggressive and kind of put people's humanity sometimes aside to get your story. And I don't, I don't always know if I had that in me, but I like to write and I love to read. So in, in my high school paper, I would write little things, you know, just I, I think the, the first thing I ever saw with my name in print was an article in the high school newspaper, the Severian Clipper newspaper, which was about a blood drive that they had at the high school. I mean, like very exciting. But I also had a cartoon that I would do called, called The Wisdom of Solomon. And those were like the first times that I officially saw myself in print. And it wasn't just I mean, as a kid, I, I was making my own books and things like, you know, on just on paper, like I, I, I even as a small child, maybe 10, 11, 12, I started trying to do like a neighborhood newspaper. I don't even want to call it that. It was basically a couple of pieces of paper printed out on a Commodore 64 dot matrix printer where I would, you know, oh, the stop sign on the corner of 65th Street got hit by a car and knocked over and I'll be following up on when it's going to be repaired. Or, you know, my, my grandfather took a dip in a swimming pool for the first time in 50 years. And here's what he had to say, you know, like that. But, but I still had the instinct of wanting to do that that kind of thing. But really, it really took off when I was in college because I was I pitched doing a college a wrestling column for the Brooklyn College Kingsman paper, and it was called Wrestling Lowdown. And this was in the era of kayfabe, really, the internet. I wasn't even on the internet yet. This is 1994. I was getting my information from phone hotlines and, and early fanzines and things like that. I did that, and I was also, we had neighborhood papers, the Home Reporter and the Brooklyn Spectator. And I was rent volunteer, no money. I was taking my own pictures, black and white photography, and going going to local indie shows. Some of these were Savoldi shows in the New York area or Tommy D shows. Those those were two guys that were running a lot of shows, indie shows in New York in those days. And I was just, I was timing the matches, doing it all. And But, but I thought I, that was going to directly lead to anything and it didn't because there was like a three-year break and then all of a sudden I'm working for WWE because I was sending clippings out to wrestling magazines, to newspapers, and not really knowing how any of that worked. And it really went nowhere at that time when I was in college. But then all of a sudden, like I said, I'm working for WWE. Wow. Now, Dave and I have realized recently that sometimes to get paid for what you like to do, you do it for free for a while. You know, you you do it for the love of it to get those reps in, to gather the skills that you're going to need when you get to that spot. So it seems like everything you were doing and everything in your blood was leading you up to becoming an author. It kind of felt that way. It did for a while. I was really gratified. It felt like there was like an arc to my life, like a character in a movie, you know, <laughs> like I've said. After I left W. WWE though it just I I kind of was adrift for a while for uh, trying to find what I wanted to do and you know I I wanted to get away from wrestling for a while honestly I got a little sick of it a little burnt out a little disillusioned and I would still occasionally contribute to PWI but I was doing all kinds of other things I was working in higher education I was doing marketing I was working for you know I was marketing for Edible Arrangements Corporation just technology news just whatever you name it um, health insurance I went to work for health health insurance company doing like copy and stuff for them. Uh, but it all involved writing or marketing. And when I started feeling I was getting too into the marketing thing, which I didn't want to be, that's when I decided to become a teacher. And I did that for a few years, got certified, enjoyed it. But I, oh, but I, then I started getting pulled back into the wrestling stuff with more of the books. That, that's where I started to get back into it with Pro Wrestling FAQ in 2014 and 2015. Writing obviously is such a passion for you, but would you say... Uh 
I'm guessing the answer is obviously yes, but like, like therapeutic too, like, you know, almost like just this good creative outlet, you know, for you as well. Yeah. I love, I'm not one of those people, you know, some people will say, I don't care if anybody reads this, this is just for myself. That's not me. I want as many people to read it as possible. I enjoy having a voice that can connect with people. And so actually it, when I, when I was at WWE, you know, you get very spoiled by that. Everything you write is being read, uh, you know, by, if it's a magazine, probably hundreds of thousands of people. If it's the website, millions of people. So I got used to that. And so when it ended, I tried to find initially another outlet. So I, I wound up for a few years there from about 2007 to about 2011, 2012. I dove into the world of horror movies, actually, because that was another great love of mine with wrestling. You know, they kind of go hand in hand in a way. And I built a whole website. I, I, I became a notable voice at the time in like the early horror blogosphere, you know, the whole, I had a podcast when podcasts weren't even a thing yet. And I did that for a number of years until the wrestling kind of came back into my life again. And then that took a backseat. But the reason I was doing it was again, as I had this need, I wanted to reach people because I was working my day job after WWE was very dreary. I was working for a technology news company, which was all about Google hits. And so they were doing the worst kind of, especially back in those days, the kind of SE things that would you know that would kind of spamming just all this horrible stuff to try to get as many google hits as you could get and it was dreary work i'm cranking out like seven articles a day about like a new kind of skype phone that's coming out and i'm like who cares about this crap? And so I, I went into the horror movie stuff as an outlet, you know, to kind of get heard and get seen again. And that kind of carried me for a while until I got back to the wrestling. I love that you love the horror movies. I got on my creep show shorts right now. Do you have a particular horror movie that stands out as a favorite or what's in your top three? My favorite horror movie was always for most of my life. It was the original Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 George Romero movie, the sequel to Night of the Living Dead, because I saw it as a teenager and it just creeped the hell out of me so good it, it's very good it, as i get older uh, this is sacrilegious it hasn't quite totally held up for me like it, it i i've watched it a couple times in recent years and, and it has less of an impact i would say the shining is probably my number one that's a movie that has 100% held up for me. And it's probably, if I had to say, the, the best made horror movie of all time, it would be that one. That's a big one for me. I love I love the old Universal monster movies. Again, those those like Saturday, Sunday afternoons, syndicated TV in New York. It was like wrestling, monster movies, horror movies. So like all the Hammer stuff, all the Universal stuff, 30s, 40s, 50s. I loved all that stuff. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Those are on my list. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, the original one. I could go all day on the on that topic uh, Nosferatu even this which just turned 100 years old this year and I rewatched it and it's still one of the best horror movies ever made 100 years later I'm looking forward to that remake they're doing of it that's right I don't know what happened with it because I thought uh, isn't that the one where Doug Jones is playing the vampire He's... I believe so I heard a lot more about it I'd say like a year ago and then it kind of dropped off so I don't know right. if it was set to release later this year or what happened but anything like old school horror like 
for me, it's Creepshow 2 with that raft. Right. Uh, and so, of course, Creepshow, Creepshow was inspired by those old EC horror comics of the 50s. So, like, you know, that's something made in the 80s, but totally inspired by horror comics of the 50s. And, you know, that's why that's another thing. I, I love sampling things. It's my same mentality I apply to wrestling. I don't confine myself to just what I know from my own lifetime, my own experience growing up. Like, a lot of people just get stuck in a mindset of what I grew up with is the only thing that's cool or good. Anything after it sucks, anything before it sucks. I've never taken that attitude. I try to cherry pick the best of all different eras i really do with everything that i get into yeah it seems a lot like you're interested in the wrestling history so how did you get involved with the arcadian vanguard podcast network because brian last is very much wrestling history and he's kind of cultivated this nice collection of shows that to me they're all must listen i think he's doing really great work and that's what attracted me to him because there's a lot of wrestling podcasts there's a lot of content being created and what he was doing really stood out and it was something no one else was doing. I got especially pulled in by the 605 Super Podcast and I've told him this because you had this essentially like a magazine style format show just focused on different aspects of wrestling history and done in a very intelligent way by people who really knew their stuff. And then you also had comedy on top of it, almost like Howard Stern, the classic era of Stern type of comedy all together. And, and it was like smart comedy, like Howard Baum coming on and doing these great impressions of Magnificent Morocco and, and you know, uh, King Curtis Ayukea and just having the top the, 10 is my favorite yes, segment. Laughing so hard. Ken Patera. Yes. Hiccuping fabulous moolah. I would sometimes have to pull the car over. I was laughing so hard and I kept going like, who is this for? This is so niche. I don't know who it's for, but it's definitely for me. This is hitting me directly. And right then and there, I started saying like, I need to, I need to find a way to reach out to these guys. And like, I would like to be a part of this. I really think I could contribute. This is like, these are my people, you know? <laughs> and I was a member of the Mothership Facebook group. We all started talking on there, commenting. Brian was doing one of his Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame shows where everybody debates their picks of who they voted for. I asked flat out if I could be on. I said, I think I have something to add. He invited me on. I was just a, a member of a panel that went really well. He liked it. A few months later, he asked me to be a co-host, you know, because every episode of 605, there's a co-host, a rotating co-host. So I did an episode with him. That's probably the one you're talking about where I, I told some crazy WWE stories. And then before you know it, I'm on the Jim Cornette experience talking with Jim for an hour and a half about my book, which was a dream come true. Like I couldn't I couldn't ask for for a better better support for the book than what brian and jim have given me i mean like obviously he wouldn't do that if he didn't love the book i had to because jim is notoriously not technologically savvy he will be the first one to admit that you know i had to and brian helped me get this book to him because i said you know i think he would actually like this book could you help me get it to him i really think this would be something he would enjoy i had to print it out the entire book <laughs> i went to a, I went to a staples i printed it out it was like three reams of printer paper and we i mailed it in a big box paid for the shipping the whole thing and i said you know what and we bound it it couldn't even so many pages it couldn't be bound in one <laughs> binding it was two bindings it was like a two volume encyclopedia but it was worth it to get it to him and to get his feedback and to hear how much he loved it someone of his stature i have a lot of respect for him in the wrestling business i was completely overjoyed and thrilled and from there the my podcast happened because i announced that i wanted I, for years i've been thinking i want to do my own podcast i don't know what it would be it would be something old school 
I think I could pull this off. And I'm going like, I don't know, how would I get it off the ground? Who's going to listen? How do I publicize it? So when I started going on Jim's show and Brian's show, I started thinking, well, my profile has been raised a little bit more now than it ever has been since I worked for WWE. Like people are remembering me again. This might be the moment to do it. Like I have a more of a name value. So I started testing the waters on Twitter going like, Hey, would anybody be interested if I did a podcast? And Brian reached out to me almost immediately. And he was just like, you have to do this with me. Like if, if, if you do this with anybody else, like you're nuts. And I'm going like, wow, I never in a million years would have even thought you would want my show on your network. Like, like I never presumed that I, you know, who am I? I'm some guy that used to write for WWE magazine 15 years ago. So what, but you know, he liked having me as a guest. He thought I, it would be a great podcast. He offered to host it. I immediately said, yes. How could you say no? I mean, what a great platform to have a built-in audience, you know, and, and it's definitely helped get it off to a fantastic start. I'm, you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm flattered by the confidence that he's shown in me and just thinking that it would be worth taking a chance on it. So, you know, that was a very cool thing that happened. So yeah, it would be a dream to end up on the Arcadium Vanguard podcast network because it's such a I mean. tight knit community. Everybody's like minded, like we're getting Vandal Drummond on for our next episode just because he is such a character. He's awesome. Yes. And we had to bring him on. But Dave, you were going to say? Oh, I was just curious. The uh, podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle. I think you might have explained this before, too. But for our audience who hasn't heard, I'm just curious. How did you end up using that name? So I want to clarify that. I'm glad you asked me that. This was this was not a setup that I planned in advance. Just want people to know that. But yeah. because there have been people who have been like, oh, you ripped this off. And Eric Bischoff, just because when I started it, it was just like a few weeks pure total coincidence after eric bischoff made that infamous statement to tony khan shut up and wrestle criticizing aew and people were saying well this is like arcadian vanguard is trying to sort of like feed off of what bischoff did and even though you know bischoff's on another network so they're trying to it was none of that it was i, I wish i had the ability to plan things out that well <laughs> where it, it, it's a phrase i'm not saying i invented it and i said this on the podcast because i know that harley races were League Wrestling used that as their catchphrase. There is, there is a wrestling promotion in New England that uses that as their catchphrase. And we've seen signs in the audience that have said that for years, going back years. What it comes from is in 2002, I wrote a column for WWE.com, which got me in a lot of hot water on the early pre-social media message board internet. And it was called Shut Up and Wrestle. Shane McMahon had asked all of us columnists to get edgy and really write like some controversial things. I don't know if he expected us, me to go as far as I did. And I wrote a column talking about how what everyone was thinking. There's too much talking on these damn shows. Like when, when is there going to be action? This was in the era of Triple H opening every show with a 15, 20 minute promo every week. It was horrible. I'm sorry. And I called it out in the columns and it was called Shut Up and Wrestle. And it was like my 15 minutes of fame at the time. Everyone was talking about it, chiming in. Is this guy going to get fired? And every and then you, it was hilarious because people were on both sides saying, clearly this is a work. Clearly they set him up to write this. And then you had other people saying, no, 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 no. He's going to get fired. He's a renegade. And it was neither of those things. It was absolutely not a work. It was just probably a sign of some internal disorganization <laughs> that they were letting us write whatever we wanted. I, I wrote it completely of my own accord. I did not get into serious internal trouble. Kevin Kelly and Tom Pritchard called me out on Bite This. 
that was about as hot as it got where they were like teasing that I was going to get fired. There was absolutely no talk of that. I don't even think Shane ever even read it. We were that far under the radar, but I took that name with me over the years. I had a column on the internet years ago. I think it was on onewrestling.com that I called Shut Up and Wrestle when I was, you know, in various places I've used it. And so I just wanted to bring it back for my column for like the 12 people that might still remember and associate that phrase with me. That is where it came from, the column that I wrote 20 years ago. That's it. Just real quick follow-up, too. When you write that, and Shane is telling you guys to get more edgier, so you know you're going to write this, is there still some trepidation in your mind? Like, I don't know if I should do this, but you're like, all right, whatever, let's just see what his plans. Yeah, there was. He took us all in a room uh, because he was in charge of magazines and .com. And I remember exactly what he said. He said, I consider all of you here talking to the writers, your talent, just like the talent on TV. You are my talent. You work for me. And as writers, your talent. And I want you to be characters. I want you to, I want you to make your name known. I want you to write things that will get people talking, not just kind of boring, bland, vanilla stuff so i took him seriously i there were other ones that i did too i did one this was in the era of billy and chuck where i I forget what i wrote but it was something about that which i was trying to get really edgy and this was in a time when in the mainstream people weren't even really talking uh, nearly as much as they are today about lgbt issues and i was talking about how I can't remember even what my take on it was now that I think about it, if it was positive or negative, but like I weighed in on that. There were a lot of ones like that. I was like talking about Bruno San Martino when nobody was allowed to even mention his name at that time and how he was the greatest WWE champion of all time. And, you know, we weren't even allowed to talk about him. So I was doing things like that. And the shut up and wrestle one was the one that stuck because I think a lot of people agreed with it at the time, you know, and, and I just, I also thought with the podcast, honestly, the kind of irony I I appreciated of calling a podcast where all you're doing is talking about wrestling, calling it shut up and wrestle because we never actually shut up and wrestle. So I thought it had like a clever, whatever, double meaning. I don't know. How are you enjoying podcasting? Is it what you thought it would be when you got, when you got into it? It totally is because it's what I wanted it to be because I made it what I wanted it to be. I thought I just want to have conversations with people. One of the things that made me want to do it was I started years ago even thinking, you know what? I know enough people in the industry I'm at least acquainted with, friendly with, on a conversational basis with that I could accumulate a long list of guests without having to ever cold call people or reach out to people that don't know who I am and have to introduce myself and cross my fingers. Like I know enough people where I could just go, hey, Blue Meanie, what are you doing next Friday? You want to be on my podcast? You know, I could do things like that. I can do, hey, Bill, Bill Apter, you want to do my show? And he'll, he'll, yeah, sure. You know, like that kind of thing that, you know, because I'm lazy, uh, the path of least resistance, I figured this is going to be pretty easy. And also people that I've spoken to before, because I just wanted it to be a conversation like we might have even when we're not being recorded and just happen to hit record. That's all it is. It's not really an interview. If you listen to them, it's very conversational. We just go wherever it leads me. I don't have a structure. Sometimes people are like, is it okay if we talk about this now? I'm like, talk about whatever you want. You know, there are even times where I've, I've gone off the path of, of wrestling per se. Like I had David Marquez on there, the promoter, and he's very much like me. He's got an interest in showbiz history in general. And so we got off talking about like connections of wrestling with like vaudeville and, and old movies and, and just where comedy and where it all like meshes Disney. and yeah, Disney, right. Cause Dave used to work for Disney. And so like, that was one of my favorite ones, you know, but that's what I wanted it to be. And that's what it's turned out to be. I mean, it's all about the guests. It's getting the right people to come on. And, th- and that's, you know, 
that's what's made it work. Isn't it fascinating? Like the older you get, you find out how much stuff actually is a work and borrows from like pro wrestling. You're like, oh, I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah, or, or how much you know pro wrestling was a part of the showbiz world at mm-hmm. one time in a much more interconnected way, and in a way, everything else kind of moved on, and wrestling still existed in this little old school bubble by itself. But it used to be much more connected. You know, like all the terms like finish and babyface and heel and high spots and going over like those things were used in vaudeville they were used in the circus they were used in like comedy you know writing and things and wrestling kind of still retained all of it you know but those are the kind of like conversations that i wanted to have just something on that was different from what other people were doing on a different level and also to to keep it focused on old school stuff not really the modern stuff not that i don't enjoy it but i wanted to talk about the old school stuff and the topics related to whoever the guest may be so if i have jeff walton on who used to be mike labelle's right hand man in the la wrestling office we're going to talk about california wrestling you know i just had scott teal on that hasn't even come out yet but we got to talk about nick gulas and wrestling in tennessee and the split with jerry uh, with jerry jared and all that stuff because he was there you know so it's based on who the guest is that's where the conversation goes it's funny that you bring up dave marquez because he is probably our greatest lost interview the whole time we were doing the interview he blew our mind with just each thing he said like he went on this huge thing about disney that i'm like i never would have thought like to equate that with wrestling and then we went back the audio was lost and i'm like god that because one of the things we've done with this podcast is just talk to independent wrestlers, talk to different personalities about their experiences in wrestling. And you get to hear different people's inspirations, what they like, and it's all going to be different. So it's getting that like wrestling potpourri out there. Being into wrestling history, who are some of the wrestling historians that you admire, both that came before you and that you've dealt with? I would have to say working now, currently alive and doing their thing, Tim Hornbaker is the man. Tim Hornbaker is uh, somebody also who inspired me to go, you know what? I want to take a shot at this. You know, not that I, I've i been writing for years, but like, I love wrestling history. I love writing. How about writing about wrestling history? You know, <laughs> so like his NWA book is to me, I'm not the first one to say this. I think Meltzer said it like if you were teaching a class about the history of pro wrestling, that would be the textbook you would give your students. I mean, like it's perfect. And I I read everything he's done. I read the Capital Revolution book about the early history of the WWF. I read Death of the Territories. My God, what a good book. Buddy Rogers biography that just came out. Beautiful. For me, his research and the, the rigors of what he goes through is the gold standard. It's the high watermark. And so whenever I work on books, I always reach out to him and he always has the these nuggets of gold that he'll send my way. There's a couple of letters that I used in the Sheik book that came from him, like letters between the promoters. So he's one. I mentioned Scott Teal. I mean, he's doing the Lord's work with all the biographies that he's put out. I think he's probably put out more books about wrestling than any other human being who's ever lived. And in terms of like the autobiographies that he's co-written and things like that, I mean, he's got to have a record. There was a book that uh, this guy's no longer with us, but Jim Friedman, who wrote the book Getting Heat, or actually it's called Not Getting Heat. Oh, this is terrible. I should remember. 
drawing heat, drawing heat, which is now Jim Friedman was a professor, I think like psychology or something like that, who also happened to be a wrestling fan and knew a lot of people in the business. And in the 1980s, he went on the road in Ontario, going to all these different like Ontario indie promotions in that era, like Dave Bearman McKigney was running. And like he got to hang out with all the wrestlers. He got the chic to open up. He's the only person that ever did that. And I use that book extensively. But his book, I think because he was also an academic and maybe a wrestling outsider and not so much a wrestling historian, that's probably the best written wrestling history book that I've ever read in terms of just the writing style itself. It's on a whole other level. Indispensable. I mean, there's just so many people. Uh, Steve Yoey has done incredible work as a historian. So many people that I have kind of stood on their shoulders to do what I did. There's no way that you can do this kind of thing without building on what people have done before you. Speaking of doing what you did, we've got the book Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real life story of pro wrestling's original sheet. And I'm just going to read Jim Cornette's words from the back of the book, because I don't know if you can get a more powerful endorsement than this. Jim says, I have never learned more about any pro wrestler from any single book than I did from the tour de force that is Blood and Fire. The Veil of Secrecy the Sheik shrouded his life and career in has been lifted by Brian Solomon's painstaking research. A book on pro wrestling's most mysterious figure has never been attempted. Now that one has finally been written, it can never be followed. Like its subject, the book is one of a kind. Wrestling fans should read it twice. What did you think when he sent you that? Oh, and yeah. like, how proud are you to put that on the back of the book? I couldn't believe it because I had, I sent him, like I told you, the printed out copy. I heard from Brian how much he was loving it and was blown away by it wanted to have me on his show but i remember i reached out to him by email at one point just to make sure he had gotten it and he got back to me immediately and he was just like once i'm done i'm totally done with it or i forget how he put it he was just like you know i'm gonna like what's the best way to reach you i'm gonna like come up with a blurb for you for the book and then uh, is it okay to curse on this show? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. we're talking about Jim Cornette. Yeah. Then he goes, you know what? Fuck it. I have something right now. I'm so excited about this book. I'm just going to put it in the body of this email. I'm not even going to wait. And he wrote the blurb that is on the back of that book. And I couldn't believe it. And I forwarded it. I thanked him, of course. I forwarded it to the publisher, ECW Press. And they even were flabbergasted. And I remember that Mike Holmes, the editor there, he said something to me like, I hope you realize I I hope you appreciate and understand what a rare and glowing review this is from such a high profile and trusted individual. This is a very special thing you have here for the book. You know, I think he almost wanted to put it on the front, you know, and I was very appreciative. and I've never stopped being appreciative. I've thanked Jim and Brian a million times. I, I, I sent Jim a whole like gift basket of, of, of goodies. I was just so overwhelmed. I just felt like I, I have to make it clear to these guys, especially Jim. I mean, for that blurb, how appreciative I am. I don't want them to think I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I want to make it very clear that I appreciate this more than you'll ever know. I think it's amazing he got it to you in email form because that's probably the toughest way for him to communicate, but he (laughs) liked the book so much. He's like, no, we have to do this now. 
that's the thing. And he even said to me at one point, because I had I I found his email address, I guess, on his website. And it's the email address that's used for ordering stuff from him. It's not really like his own, you know, personal direct. So I sent it to that. And he actually said to me, no, no, here's my personal one. If you really want to get to me quickly, the email I check most often, which for him is probably like once in the morning, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> when he opens his computer up, God bless him. He said, this is the one to use from now on. And by the way, you know, here's this blurb and here it is right here. I'm not even going to wait. And yeah, it was, I was blown away. Totally. Amazing. Now, what was the process for the Sheik book? Like, how long did it take from when you knew what you were going to write about to when you got the printed copies? Well, I pitched the book in the summer of 2019 and I sent just kind of an early email to them and they were interested in the concept. Then they asked for like a sort of like a pitch or a sample, you know, an, a formal kind of pitch. And I did that with a writing sample from which wound up being the introduction to the book, which is the fictionalized kind of vignette of the chic wrestling Tony Marino and Kobo Arena. That's how the book opens. That was the sample I sent and they were sold on it immediately. So I signed my contract in November 2019, got to work. The world then proceeded to end as I was writing it, <laughs> just getting started. So there were no trips to Detroit. There was no no like legwork being done. I could barely leave my house. So for the first six months, it was just research from about November, December 2019 until the summer. It was interviewing people, going on Ancestry.com, going through newspaper archives, getting military records, that kind of thing. And then by the summer of 2020, I really started the hardcore writing. I was still researching. I was still interviewing people. But the hardcore writing continued for, I want to say, about nine months. I finished the actual draft in March of 2021. And then for the next year, it was just revising, putting it in layout, getting photography, you know, proofreading it, copy editing it. Excuse me, that's a really long process. It took longer than writing it. So all told, the book came out in April 2022. So you're talking about almost two and a half years of my life. You know, just a quick follow up with the delay of everything because of COVID and stuff. Did that actually maybe help you a little bit on terms of like, you know, you had more time, you're like, all right, I'm going to do a lot more research and, you know, like, you know, did it, in a way, did it, was it beneficial in some ways? A hundred percent, yes. And I sometimes sound callous being like, yay, a global pandemic that I killed get... millions of people. I, I It made me write a better book. But the fact is, I my day job that I had at the time, I was working for a tutoring agency on site. The pandemic killed that because in the beginning, especially before people sorted it out, everybody was so panicked. Nobody wanted to send their kids to be tutored, you know, in a building somewhere. So like their business was drying up. They cut my hours down to almost nothing. I found myself with all this free time. I was, you know, then they had the lockdown rules where for a couple of months there, you couldn't go anywhere except to the supermarket, right? Or the, or the drugstore. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make the most of this. I'm trapped in this house. My day job is almost nothing at this point. So I'm going to turn this book into my day job. And I wound up saying, you know what? Nine to five, like a job. I'm going to yeah. go down into my office from nine in the morning to five. God bless my wife, who was also unemployed at the time or, or you know, working freelance assignments from home, able to watch our beautiful son and do that kind of thing. And I went down here where I'm sitting right now and I sat here for eight hours a day and I treated it like a job. There's no way it would have been as thorough as it was and get done as relatively quickly as it was. Because if I was making it as thorough as it was with having to work a full-time job and doing it a couple of hours a night when I'm exhausted coming home, it would have taken me many years, I think five, six years, maybe more 
to do. And because of the way everything happened, it made the book a better book. I mean, that that is a fact, in my opinion. It would not, I would not have been able to say, you know what? I'm going to spend three hours trying to get to the bottom of this one question and figure out what the right answer is. And, and it'll take me down all these other rabbit holes of, oh my God, these were, this is where he was in Europe during World War II, down to day by day, village by village, where they went. Those kind of things were the product of having a lot of free time thankfully yeah i mean the pandemic it kept me and dave both in work because dave delivers bread at the time i worked in a grocery store but we had the free time because of not doing anything else the lockdown that we were able to put it into this podcast and me and him think that sometimes we wouldn't have gotten the interviews we had or we wouldn't have been able to brainstorm different ideas for the podcast without having that time and it's just negative and the positive too. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, like for me, my other business too, delivering bread, like my sales increase because people are just shopping. That's all they're doing. So I'm doing everything I can to, you know, increase the money and try to, you know, also, as Joe said too, take the interviews we can get with the podcast. And we were working twice as hard as we ever were because of that in that situation. So you it's just- that weird right. mixed blessing yeah. of the pandemic. You don't right. want to look at it as a positive, like, but things are not like, out of it. Yay, pandemic. It's just- It's more than even just the book. Even in just all of the wrestling aspect of my career, I was able to focus more on- you know, because usually that would just be a luxury when I'm doing whatever god awful thing, you know, keeps my lights on. I'm doing that and then trying to squeeze the wrestling. Well, now I'm going full bore into my freelance writing aspects. I'm now a full time contributor, meaning every issue to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Inside the Ropes magazine in the UK. Those were things I was not able to do before. I've raised my profile higher in, at least in the world of wrestling media and online and all that stuff, higher than it's been since I worked at WWE maybe even higher to the point where you know it's led to other things it's led to arcadian vanguard it's led to possibly other books and things and becoming a self-sustaining thing to be able to invest the time and devote the concentration and effort to to make those things happen you just can't do with a full-time like especially soul-sucking kind of job you just can't do it and that's why all these years it's only been a little peripheral thing on the side for me and now it's really kind of like taken over my day-to-day work you know and it's it's all because of, of all the time that I had. That's great to hear. And it's funny how when you do something that you actually love and enjoy, it feels less like work and it's more fun. What kind of inspires you to create? Like, what do you look to for inspiration when you write these books and when you do things like this? Oh boy. Well, I mean, it it has to be something I'm interested in or passionate about. You know, I mean, every writer has that feeling when you get an assignment that you love, it's like you could, you could do it like that. You don't even have to think about it. I mean, there are articles I write where I can sit down for, uh, I'll write like a thousand words an hour, not even an exaggeration. And then there's ones where you're not that passionate about it. And, you know, it'll drag out for days and days and you're procrastinating. And so, so I try to focus on stuff that I love just even because it's more productive, like even in, in the realm of wrestling, like with pro wrestling illustrated, I created a column there again, big surprise, an old school column. It's called the way it was, but I wanted to take advantage of the incredible photograph archive that PWI has that to that no you know no one else has like up to the present day and to the beginning of the business like it's just an amazing archive so that column is I could do it 
and I don't mean this in a negative way. I could do it in my sleep, like because it's just part of w- what I am, what I love. I just did a story for PWI on the legacy of Cody Rhodes dating back to Dusty Rhodes and Superstar Graham, all the stuff he's been talking about on TV. I wrote an article all about that and what that match was like. I watched the match. You know, what was happening in New York City on that night in 1977? I mean, that stuff is my bread and butter. And Cody himself directly reached out to me to thank me for it. That stuff comes easy to me. It really does. And and so, again, because I'm at heart a lazy man, I look for the things that are going to be easy. And they're the things that I love the most. So, like, even in terms of, like, what to write a book about, The Sheik was something that fascinated me, his life his persona, Detroit wrestling in general, not written a whole lot about. And so I wanted to contribute to that. So, I mean, I'm inspired by the things that I love. I mean, that's a very simple answer. The the, the aspects of wrestling history that I enjoy and I like getting into, like even with the podcast, I could talk for hours and hours. I never get tired of it. I always have to cut it short because I try to keep it to an hour on my show. But I always feel like we could just keep going and going and going. I'm never bored. But again, it's because I talk about and write about the things that I love. I'm going to hit you kind of with a three-part question. Who are some of the people that helped you most with the book? Do you have maybe another wrestling book in you at some point? And can you tell us what's on the horizon for you? So with the book, there's a few people that need to be mentioned. I mean, the acknowledgements in the book is very long. So, but I mean, like boil it down to the most important. There was Dave Drayson, AKA Dave Brzezinski, who is like the Dean of, of Detroit wrestling alive today. You know, he was the Sheik's last manager. He had a direct contact to the Sheik for years. He, he knew him and worked with him and he had tons of photography as well. And he was there to answer any question I had. I would send him a message at night. Just, Hey, uh, you know, how tall was the Sheik? You know, just random things like, that and he was always there incredibly supportive also mark bujan who i have to mention who was a leading light in terms of historians of detroit wrestling he was the man he was the guy you went to with the history he was a fan first and he was so supportive and made a lot of contacts for me early on he also passed away during the writing of the book and that was very sad for me because he was so excited about seeing the finished product he never got a chance to so he was one of the people that i dedicated it to for sure god other i I mentioned Tim Hornbaker, he sent me some great archival stuff. The people that I interviewed, I mean, Terry Funk was great. Kevin Sullivan was great. I got a hold of Flying Fred Curry, who is alive and well and living in Northern Connecticut, not far from me, and probably the person living who has wrestled the Sheik more times than anyone else alive, for sure. Priceless kind of person to be able to talk to for this book. So I have to thank him big time. Who else? Well, I mean, and and as far as like looking ahead, yes, I absolutely want to write write more about wrestling. Now, I just finished a book, which I was, I don't know, I'm a masochist or something. I was doing at the same time as finishing up Sheik, I was starting the next book. And it's because I pitched both at the same time and I didn't know who was going to say yes, honestly. And they both said yes. I'm like, oh my God. So I tried to space it out, but it's a book on the history of superheroes. So it's non-wrestling related a little bit wrestling related, but it comes out next year and it's different, but it's, it's not wrestling. But as far as wrestling goes, I am thinking now of my my next project. Now that superheroes is done and I'm in post-production on superheroes, my next book is definitely going to be wrestling related. I have a few things in mind that I don't want to get into too much detail because you never know people kind of steal your ideas and things like that. But there's two ideas I have. I'll just say two possible ways to go. One is a possible book on, 
the history of wrestling magazines that I'd like mm-hmm. to do almost in a coffee table style, like a like an art book. Like, you know how you see these art books that are on pop culture, like comic books or pulp novels, men's magazines and things like that. I'm, I'm thinking, why not wrestling magazines? No one's done that. that so, yeah, there's that. And the other thing is, do I do another biography? That could be another way to go. And I have a couple of possible ideas for that. But I will say that there are people who are very important, high profile names in wrestling history who have never had a book done about them. The couple of people I have in mind, I would say that about any of them. So that's where I'm going in the future. Now, if people want to keep up to date with what you've got going on and what these books could turn out to be, where can they find you in the social media landscape? All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. Twitter's a great place, especially to follow me where I, I talk a lot about the wrestling stuff. On Facebook, there's the Shut Up and Wrestle group on there. If you look up Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon, that's a Facebook group built around the show. I also have a Facebook page just as an author, which if you look up my name, Brian R. Solomon, you'll and there's a picture of the Sheik. That's my author page. I have an author website, which has a really unwieldy URL. But if you go to any of my social media, you'll find the links to my author website. And I keep people up to date there. And the podcast, of course, I mean, shut up and wrestle. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, the website is suawpod.com. It's easy to find online. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you for joining us today, and we can't wait to read your next book. Thank you very much, guys. We want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show, 482 Designs. That is F-O-U-R, the number is 82designs, 482designs. You can find them on Facebook by looking up F-O-U-R, 82designs, at F-O-U-R-82 Designs on Instagram. And if you want to email them, go to F-O-U-R-82 Designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality t-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's a light years better than our first one. Also, we survived the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. Working Fans Podcast. It's the man they call Dave. And it's AJ Strange Brew rocking that FTR shirt because we're talking top five FTR dreamers. It's FTR month here. All right. I mean, we had FTR's favorite matches. We've talked about Bret Hart matches where FTR was heavily involved in that. And now we're doing FTR dream matches. Yeah, man, we're talking FTR matches. FTR has become, I think me and AJ, I I can, I think I can speak for you. You can correct me if I'm wrong. They're our favorite tag team of the last, what, decade? At least I think it's because it gives us a feel almost of our childhood of how great of a tag team they are. They make us feel back to those days of Iron and Tully and the Midnight Express and all of those great tag teams that were in that time period. I think they've been quite frankly, as Dave Meltzer would say, I think they've become a 10 star tag team. And if you like stars, Joe Seart the third, our longtime fan pointed out, you should actually drop some stars on us on all major platforms and let us know how you feel or Facebook. I think they're only available on Facebook. Yeah, they're great. AJ, I 
I know sometimes you have to watch Dynamite in a vacuum because of your schedule. Did yeah. you get to see the Dax Harwood promo this week? If not, I'll clue you in. No, I did. And I thought the promo was fantastic. It's one of those things where he brought real life in. And yeah. anytime you bring real life in, I mean, how much of a bitch do you feel like if you're sitting there and you're complaining about your achy knees or you're complaining about how hard your day was and then yeah. Dax drops on you, oh, this young girl at five years old is told she has a hole in her heart. She's got to put the work in or she's basically going to die or we're going to have to do this horrible surgery. But the young lady put the work in, kicked its ass, and now her heart's perfectly fine. Yeah. And then he concludes that with, so I'm going to fight like an eight-year-old girl. And I'm going to whoop yeah. your ass. Like, yeah. it's so good. Like, I'm almost crying. I'm cheering. And then I'm like, this motherfucker's cool all within a couple minutes. Like, I think it's great that you're trying to convince people that you were almost crying. Oh, no, no. I was tearing up. <laughs> I was in a bread truck by myself. I'm like, you son of a bitch, Dax. I've got to go into the next store. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I so they're awesome. After we finish this list, we're going to talk a little bit about Ring of Honor and specifically that match. Me and AJ will make some predictions. And let's just get started, though, man. Why don't you kick us off today? Yeah, absolutely. I've got Zach St. John to start off here. We've got the Brain Busters, which I think okay. is going to come up a lot. By the way, I am keeping tally as always, so don't think we're forgetting to count here. We've got the Midnight Express, and Zach was very clear that it's Ian and Stan Lane. Although he put Lame in Eaton, so I don't know if he was trying to insult Stan Lane, but whatever. That's a great tag team, and I like the fact that he talked about specifically which one he wanted. Strike Force. Yeah, he loves Strike Force, and I don't blame him for wanting to see that. The Steiners. Oh, yeah. And then we also got the Heart Foundation. So I think four of those are going to come up on a lot of lists. You might see Strike Force more often than we expect to, but great tag teams all around. Tony Rice. I love this list for a couple of reasons. All right. He's from the Mothership Facebook group. He's got the Gorillas of Destiny, High Energy. AJ, you're going to love this next one. PYTs, <laughs> British Bulldogs, the Blue Bloods. And then I like this. I don't know if Joe sent me this, if he did this. I'm hoping he did this. Tony Rice, who I don't even know. Jake Rule, Owen and Brett. <laughs> so I like the fact that the Thanks. Jake Rule is now being listed by other fans. That's uh, how you know people are paying attention. When you start to have these little rules that we implement for people and they use them, that's awesome. So the only list you would have to mark out there would be the Bulldogs, if yeah. you got it. I'm, you, you don't think the PYTs, the pretty young things, are going to show up very often? I don't think so. Mark Frazier from the Mothership Group also wrote Tully and Iron, Punk and Danielson. I like the fact he did take two big single stars. Starks and Hobbs. The Von Ericks, whether he means today's version or one of the other brothers, that's awesome. And the Acclaim. Yo, listen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've already seen them versus the Acclaim. I tried, well, they did a six-man. What's up, Randy? I know that was to AJ, but we'll... What is up, Randy? How are you, my friend? I've got Mr. Mike Flynn. He's got the Hart Foundation. He's got the Steiner Brothers. Steiner line. <laughs> Edging Christian. We've got the British Bulldogs. We've also got the Eliminators. Oh, uh, Eliminators a is a good tag team. That's a fun tag team. Yeah. I don't think people give as much credit to Cronus and Perry Saturn as they probably should get in that ECW time period. They certainly were. One of the best. AJ, keep us going with another list. Next, we've got the Brain Busters again. We've oh, got man. the Steiners again. We've got the Midnight Express, although this time they also were very clear. And by the way, this is Scott from Voluntown. I don't think I said who this is. They were very clear. They put Eaton and Condry, both variations of the Midnight Express have actually been 
recognized here. And then we've got the Hart Foundation, the British Bulldogs, and an honorable mention. He did not pull the Jake rule. He did an honorable mention for Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat. Yeah. Gotta love that. Yeah, Booker T, Stevie Ray, sucker. Harlem Heat, actually, they were kind of, FDR was kind of, they were kind of batting around among Facebook and stuff like that and social, other social media. So interesting. I got Richard Newsham from the Mothership Facebook group. <laughs> Here's an interesting one. James Drake and Zach Gibson. <laughs> I like that. Then he's got a name you'll have to write down. The British Bulldogs. Iron and Tully. Another one for you. Mustache Mountain. That one you won't, but that's a good one. I like this guy as a fan of British wrestling. And then finally... Midnight Express, and he also made sure to put down the Bobby and Stan Lane version. So we'll do some totals real quick just to let us know where we're at. Right now, the Brain Busters are leading the way. They've got five. You've got the Midnight's Heart Foundation, Bulldogs, and Steiners all tied with three in second place. And then so far, the Road Warriors have none. All right. So what do you bet about? Brian R. Solomon, author of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of the restaurant's original chic. He gave us a list. I think you're going to like this one. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew. Nicely done. Then a couple names for you to write down. The Midnight Express and the British Bulldogs. And then here's his last two, which I think you're going to love. Bachwinkle and Stevens. Ooh. And Terry and Dory Funk. Fantastic. Fantastic. Love it. Those would have all been great matches. I got Zach Grant. From the Mothership Facebook group, he's got Brett and Owen. Midnight Express. I like this one. Hardy's in their prime. Not today's version. (laughs) The Dudleys. And here's one for some people. The Gangsters. So that's the first time the Dudleys have actually popped up, which is a little surprising. And great to see the reference to the Gangsters. Absolutely. I almost feel like I should have told you to put the Dudleys down, but I didn't. And they've only come up once so far. So we'll see. Yeah, that's well, I put the Road Warriors down and they're about to come up on my next list. My next list is actually Randy Osga. And he's got FTR versus Brett and Owen. He's got versus the Rockers. First time the Rockers have showed up. Also, you got the Von Erics, but he was clear. He put Ross and Marshall. He actually knows that there's more than one Von Eric tag team. That's fantastic. We've also got the Road Warriors and Randy. Andy, I love this one versus the current NXT Tag Team Champions, the Creed Brothers. I like that. In fact, I like it so much. I'm going to hit you with another list. Jess Kevin from Reddit has the, the Motor City Machine Guns. Good one. The American Wolves. Oof. The Creed Brothers. The Kings of Wrestling, which if I believe is correct, is Bizarro. And who's that fat dude? <laughs> Samoa Joe? No, 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 no. You know his name. He always he's just a, he's a spinning elbow. He was one of your favorites. Cassius Ono, but he had another name. Oh, yeah, but when they teamed up, I don't believe he was fat already. I think he was actually yeah. in good shape at that point. And Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Absolutely. That's a, No, that's a great list. I like the fact that there's some modern ones on there, some Ring of Honor ones on there. Absolutely fantastic list. I like it. I have another list brought to you by Randy Oscar, but it's actually Alex Lorenzo's list. Hey, it is... Chris Hero, by the way, was the... Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he's actually been responsible for training a lot of great wrestlers, and he's had a lot of great matches in his career. He just didn't do crap once he got to WWE because they didn't know what to do with him. Well, that, and he gained 50 pounds. So... Chris Harris treatment. Alex Lorenzo list. We've got FTR versus Owen and the Bulldog. Evil and Sonata. The Rockers have shown up again. Brett and Owen. And I believe this is the first time I've heard this name. Uh, you might remember them. Demolition? 
Oh, Demolition. Yeah, I'm surprised. I didn't tell you to put them down, but I guess... Well, here comes the Axe, and here comes the Smasher, because they're on this list. We've got Jamie Hama from the Mothership Facebook group. He's got the Rock and Roll Express. He's got the British Bulldogs. That'll make our list. We've got the Midnight Express, Tully and Iron, and then we've got the Rockers. So just to give you an idea as to where we're at now, the Midnights and the Brain Busters are tied at six. Bulldogs right behind them with four. Harp Foundation with three. Steiners with three. Hey, Road Warriors, you got one (laughs) well guess what i got boot jones from reddit he's got the lod also known as the road warriors i was gonna say is that the same team i don't know he's also got the dudleys nice owens and zane second one for them i like that one too we got besties in the world danny vega and matt fitchett <laughs> you know people have been claiming for that one that one didn't even need to be said that's why it hasn't been on everyone's list and america's most wanted oh that's a good one john white from facebook has iron and tully the new age outlaws here's one i thought we should have probably mentioned to apa eds and christian and the dudleys dudleys sneaking in there they're not they would now be tied with the hearts and the steiners if we were keeping track of the dudleys thank god we're not (laughs) next to them right now (laughs) unofficial tally we've got the mothership facebook group we've got blair krieger and they've only got three so this should be easy they've got riddle and orin that's an interesting one to see pop up they've got the briscoes which is in an iron man match so i guess that's a dream match and then we've got paul diamond and pat tanaka that's a great one. Pat Tanaka, former guest. So, I, I assume they mean as the Orient Express. I think they'd be bad company, but I love Oh, it. till the day we die. AJ, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I usually have to do the enunciation for things. I want to see if you get this reference. Announce that team for me the best you can. <laughs> Deadly Fred and Lamana Manai <laughs> Yamanamanumi. Yamanamanumi. <laughs> They were off the the uh, ICP. No, I remember when when we when Wees went chicken hunting. Yeah, that was the video at the end of that. That's yes. Right. Uh, so you're not <laughs> going to get me with that reference. We've got Sean McIver from the Mothership Facebook group, and they've got the Heart Foundation, which will get marked. That'll put them ahead of the Dudleys who aren't on the list. We've got Murdoch and Adonis. We've got that's a great tag team. The Fantastics, who we haven't heard. Miracle Violence Connection. Are you familiar with Miracle Violence? connection i mean if you're talking about dr def steve williams and oh terry bam bam gordy thought i'd give you that one. that is a great tag team you're not going to hear it as much because you'll appreciate it i actually watched the other day somebody posted a line of gordy pushing the fan always makes me sweat. always makes my heart swell And then they've also got the Bulldogs. So we got to mark the Bulldogs down. So the Bulldogs have now actually tied the Midnight Express and the Brain Busters for first place with six each. The Hart Foundation has four. And then the Steiners have three. The Road Warriors have two. And if the Dudleys were on the list, they would also have three. Yes. Charlie Hill. He's got a couple good ones. He's got the Steiner brothers. So they're going, getting some more momentum. Oh, yeah. We got Team Angle. That's a good one. Yeah. We got the Brain Busters, Tully and Iron. So they're gaining another vote. Here's a team that makes a lot of sense, actually, we didn't think of. The Shield. All right. You could have took any combination of Shield. That would have been good. And here's another team, kind of under the radar, but you think of a successful team also, Miz and Morrison. Yeah. No, definitely a, a great team by Team Angle. Do they mean the world's I greatest think, tag team? I think they mean the world's greatest tag team. Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Yeah. I, so we got another list here. Producer Joe. He's got 
Iron and Tully, the second gear crew, Matthew Justice and Manch Warner, the GCW wow. champs, maybe former tag champs at this point, Midnight Express, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. Oh, nice. And then at her fifth one, he's actually got FTR, CM Punk versus the Bloodline. Oh, wow. I'd love to see That's that. Good. Yeah, that'd be fun. The only I, thing we uh, got out of that was Iron Tully and the Midnight Express that we have to mark. Yes, but I thought he was going to go J-Lo and Ben Affleck, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Anthony DiSalvatore? Oh, he just had a, a statement, I guess. They'd oh, be good. really good against any two guys from the Hart Foundation. Brett Anvil, Owen, Yoko, Yoko. <laughs> Bulldog and Pillman. Midnight Express would be awesome, too. Freebirds with Michael Hayes and Gordy. I don't know what you want to include for votes there. Maybe he did say they'd be awesome. Uh, Heart Foundation? Sure. No, Hearts and Midnight. He did mention Yeah, them. I am. A, a lot of people forget this, and I'm glad he brought it up. The lost heart cousin, Yokozuna. I yeah. think that that's important to bring into the picture. I mean, I know the an, the an, <laughs> the Anvil and the Bulldog, I know, married in. But when you have that blood, that shared blood between Yoko and the Heart Foundation, it's incredible. So I did have the Bulldogs. Nice. I did have the Midnights. I did have the Brain Busters. However, now I've got some other teams. I've got Furnace and Lafon because I think that that would have been a hell of a match. Oh, yeah. I don't think that they get remembered as good as they were because of their WWE run. I think we forget how great they were in Japan and how great of a team they were all together. And then just for another dream match, I actually put the Briscoes, but not the Briscoes from right. Ring of Honor, who now, by the way, are signed to a contract to Ring of Honor again for breaking news for you however the briscoes jerry and jack we forget how dominant of a tag team they were for the early 80s late 70s all the way until starcades started happening and even then they were one of the big things on the first starcade i got the last bit here so do you, you, know you want do you want a total before we we'll, no. We'll do a no, no 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 we'll, oh. we'll just We'll surprise out. everyone. I don't want to think I'm influencing anybody. So, by the way, if you're going to have honorable mentions, I think this is the way you should do it. I'm going to give you two honorable mentions first. So we know yeah. these don't actually count. They're not actually good. They do not count like the Dudleys. I haven't heard a lot of teams mention the Hollywood Blondes, Pillman and Austin. Nice. Was- Great team. And then another team, I'll give you two more teams, actually. Steamboat and Douglas and Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham. All were feuding around that same time period. Great teams from that era. Would have been fun to see. A- any one of those would have been fantastic. Another good one would have been, and it's a little bit before that, we, 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 we've talked about Tully and Iron. Believe it or not, in that time period, Flair and Barry were teaming up. That would have yeah. been a fun one to see. Before I get I'll throw two more teams, just because it's so fucking easy to do this. Iron and Fabisco, Iron yeah. and e- Absolutely. Well, really, Iron and anyone. Absolutely. <laughs> Except for Brock. <laughs> that yeah, not Brock Anderson. He's not not Brock. Yeah, not Brock Anderson. Brock Lesnar and Iron. That'd be a fun tag oh, team. Fucking kill it. Just, <laughs> kick off my list. Iron and Tully. I gotta have them on there. The Steiner brothers. When you're talking about chemistry, one of the reasons why I actually I didn't end up putting the Midnight Express on here. I know they would probably You didn't? I didn't. I was wow. List. Not even know. in your not even in your honorable mentions, which you had like twelve of them. They're in my honorable mentions. <laughs> I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? Very similar. I'd like to see teams where FTR is going to be bumping their ass off a little bit. The Steiners. Well, they would definitely be doing that against the Steiners. It would be whether they wanted to or not. <laughs> so here's another team for you to mark the Bulldogs. So the Bulldogs and the Steiners are my two teams you got to mark down. And then just for fun, and a couple other teams, Demolition, which yeah. I know you've heard a little bit, and the Rockers. 
Marty and Sean, because Marty and Sean would have been an amazing team. We ended up hearing the Rockers about four times, so they they definitely got their names mentioned. Demolition only like twice. What do we got for votes, and then we'll discuss. Well, the Brain Busters ended up winning. They got 10 because Dave did not like the Midnight Express, so they only got nine. (laughs) The Steiners and the Harp Foundation are actually tied for fourth place with five because third place is the Bulldogs with eight. The Road Warriors only got two. Wow. All right, so the Bulldogs got third. The Bulldogs got third. Yeah, they got eight. So you've right. got literally 10, nine, and eight with the Brainbusters, Midnights, and the Bulldogs. You know what's great? We could argue all five of these. <laughs> like, oh, well, absolutely. For yeah. dream matches, absolutely. You know yeah. who we didn't hear as much was the Rock and Roll Express. No. And I, th- and I think it's because they've wrestled. They've wrestled once, and that's why I didn't pick them. And I think maybe that's a few people. My, my problem is, is I would have loved to have seen, and this is just a dream match for me, if you would have put Rock and Roll Express in their prime. Sure. Like, yeah. uh, <laughs> like we talked about earlier with the Hardys in their prime. Now, yeah. yeah, not to take anything away from the Rock and Roll Express and the fact that they're still somehow working, although Robert Gibson has finally retired. It's not the same. All right, let's talk about these things. We got the Bulldogs, the Brain Busters, the Midnights. Before we pick a third one here, if we're arguing these three, who are the most successful out of these three teams? Well, actually, the most successful out of them is probably the Bulldogs. I was thinking that because if you talk to me about like wrestling two in the 80s, like who is the most synonymous tag team? Like the Bulldogs were on a run. Well, well, I think they have the most world tag team championships. Also, they have two, I think. And then how many I'm, times did Midnight win? They probably had two as well. Maybe even more. and you know, I and I, and I think the Brainbusters have two because I think they won one in NWA and one in yeah. WWE. So they're here, all two. But here's something though for you: Tony and Iron did it in both promotions. They did, and that's impressive. They did have a short run in the WWE. I think we forget. We have a tendency of thinking for the Brainbusters a little bit longer than they were there. They were right. really only there for a year. Absolutely, yeah. And it's also the end of them. Remember, once they're done in WWE, Tully gets into that trouble, and it ends up being only Iron coming back to WCW. Oh, has longevity. Yeah, Midnight has longevity. The Bulldogs do not have as much longevity as we think they do. Mm-hmm. They're also only a few years. They did wrestle once they got to WWE, but before that, they actually primarily wrestled as single stars. You know what's funny? is Even though I didn't put Midnight Express in my top five, I'm starting to lean towards them. Like I'm envisioning that match, and because of the teamwork and everything. So I think that that would be a great match, but I'm actually doing something that you're doing. I'm thinking about the styles, and right. I'm thinking about the continuity of the Bulldogs along with the strength, and I'm thinking what a great match that would be with the strength difference and the yeah so before we get then i think what we're both saying is we are eliminating tolly and iron then oh we are and it's not easy to do because obviously we both love tolly and iron actually my favorite team out of that like i I, and i love all those teams but absolutely here's the other thing and this is the last thing i'm gonna say about the brain busters we also forget they weren't teaming long before they left nwa either right right, they were not the tag team iron had just broken up with Ole the year before they literally only had like a two-year block where they were a tag team and Flair and Barry were doing the tag team for a little while. Yeah. And then Flair would team with Luger once in a while. It wasn't until like they really settled down when I want to say Luger had left too. We had Barry and Iron and Tully started like really doing the team. I think their chemistry is even more impressive when you think about it that way because of how little they actually wrestled together. Although we got to give credit to Stan Lane also because right. he stepped into a tag team where Bobby Eaton is a tag team specialist. He stepped into that tag team and that could have went very awry because of the chemistry between Eaton and Condry, but Stan Lane stepped in and in. It was seamless. I agree. I think you convinced me. I go back what I was thinking. I'm going to go. We're going to go Midnight's number two, unless you change your mind again. And then no. I, Bulldogs. Yeah. 
I agree with you. To me, I just think the matchup of the Bulldogs right. would have been absolutely incredible. I think that because of how good they were, this is before Davey all of a sudden put on 40 pounds of muscle. He was still muscular, right. but he could move. Both of them could absolutely fly around the ring, and they had that power. Even Dynamite Kid, being the smaller wrestler that he was, was jacked to the gills and could absolutely still power you around. They both could have bumped their ass off for each other, and yeah. the difference between them and the midnight is they could have had that power that we wouldn't get like you wouldn't have got a power matchup with midnight and ftr but with bulldogs they could add that power element into it well one of the things that made the bulldogs so fun is that when they went in with bigger tag teams like demolition and they could match power with them but they could still bump their ass off for them so you got both of them absolutely but uh, let's talk about ring of honor this saturday you know what we should go to that we're going to that oh So, you know what we should do? We should actually bring producer Joe also. I think he's going to that as well. What? (laughs) We're not going to mention any names, but we are celebrating a birthday that day also. We're not going to mention any names because they stay anonymous, so it's fine. But this is our way of saying happy birthday, even though we don't know who you are. Loved member of the team. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Let's make some predictions here before we get out of here. Absolutely. I am so excited about this card, by the way. We'll say, actually, you know what? Let's kick it off with FTR Briscoes first. We talked about it. Two out of three falls. Briscoes are signed, but to me, you got FTR holding all these belts for a reason. We're going to eventually see them against the AW Tag Champs, whether that's Hobbs and Swerve or ends up being another team, but I don't think FTR is going to lose these belts yet. I got FTR. I don't think they are either. They might be. The Briscoes might be the team that they eventually lose it to, but I don't think it's going to be at this event. I agree. Women's match, Serena Deeb and Mercedes Martinez. This could go either way, but I think they're going to put it on Deeb. I think even somebody they want to profile a little more, and I think she gets the big title reign, the big play. You got to give it up for both of these women. Both of them are longtime vets. Both of them are now around the 20-year mark of wrestling, and you're talking about starting off in a time period where it was a lot of TNA for wrestling and not as much focus on what you need to do as a female wrestler and competitor. So to see the two of them really last as long as they have and to continue to up their game every year, this should be a fun match. Absolutely. I'm just looking up this card right now to see if we miss anything. But Well, yeah, there's a few more matches. I know there's other matches. <laughs> like, for instance, all right, the pure title, Yuta and Garcia. I love this match. I love Garcia. I like Yuta, but I think Garcia's, to me, I, I'm more of a fan of Garcia. That being said, I don't think we're taking the belt off of Yuta yet. Because I think we're going to put a little emphasis on the Blackpool Combat Club, maybe holding all the belts for a little while, and we'll get to that prediction a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, I do believe Yuta's going to come out on top in this one, but you talk about a match that you're just excited about as a wrestling fan. It's hard to get, and the title is the pure title. Can you think of another pure wrestler more pure than Daniel Garcia? Although I know he is a sports entertainer. He is a sports entertainer. All right, so we'll do the last two matches. There's, there's another match that's been added. There's a six-man match, The Righteousness with Vincent Bateman and Dutch versus Dalton Castle and the boys. Willow Nightingale's on the pre-show against Allison Kay. Those should be fun. But let's get to the two main matches here. First off, the world television title, the match I think has been pushed more than anyone. Samoa Joe versus Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal, man. This guy's going for the Ring of Honor TV title. And next following week, he's going to be teaming with Jeff Jarrett against Ric Flair and Andrade in Flair's last match. I've been watching some of the videos with Jay Lethal for that and the pre-show. Jay is underrated when it comes to a Mike guy, too. This guy is good all over. I really like him. 
I don't think they're putting the belt on him yet. Well, like we talked, like Ric Flair said, and you know, the road to, yeah, he's an open guy. It's fine. It's where he's at. It's not an insult. Everybody needs a spot on the card. So (laughs) so just don't think he's ready for this championship yet. It's fine, Jay. It's fine. (laughs) So you're you're thinking Joe keeps, I think Joe, I think Joe still goes over. If, if he, if Jay does go over, it's going to be because he's got two people with him in Sanjay Dot and whatever the hell that giant's name is. And then the main event, Jonathan Gresham, Claudio. I got to go with Claudio. I think we're putting the belt on him. It should be an awesome match. But I think at the end of the day, Claudio, they want to make Ring of Honor a bigger brand. I think we're going to have a TV deal for this soon at some point, And you want a bigger star. Hence why I think Samoa Joe, Claudio are going to be your two main champs. So I agree with you. I have a feeling Claudio is going over. I will play devil's advocate here and go the other way, not as my prediction, but just to show you how it could go the other way. You have Tully's group there. And if you want to build that group up because you already have great tag team in it, you've got Jonathan Gresham in it. You now, we think we have Brian Cage in it. We don't know. Nobody's seen Brian since that first interaction. Uh, I might've been a dark tape in or he was there recently. So, okay. So good. So hopefully as a group, group we have them together and if they're going to try to build that group up and make them a monster stable in the ring of honor then you could want to hold the belt on jonathan gresham just to build that up however i think claudio is actually going over because i agree with you we need a centerpiece for ring of honor to try to get that tv deal to try to build things up i think claudio and samoa joe are those centerpieces and that's where you build from absolutely when ftr is the tag champs like that's a hell of a three-person champ right well there. well plus they went out of their way to point out the fact that while claudio has been considered the great wrestler wherever he's gone he's never held a world right. championship including the ring of honor right I agree. All right, folks, when this gets on audio, you'll see how right or how wrong me and AJ were. Thank you for all bringing your list. Go ahead, AJ. When it gets to audio, now I know I mentioned the stars earlier for Facebook. When it gets to audio, that actually will be on other platforms. Make sure you give us some stars and a nice review. Yeah, five stars, baby. All right, seven stars. They love us. Seven stars. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. For Man Called Dave, AJ Strange Brew, we'll see you at the matches. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Working Fans Wrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 